You are now listening to Fangirl Feminist, Media and Feminism. Also, you have been warned. Spoiler warning! Alrighty, hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is Feminist Fangirl Media and Feminism. So in this podcast, we uh, explore different medias through a feminist lens. Sometimes it's a little more feministy theory and political, and sometimes we talk more just about the media because I like it or want to talk about it or want to share some theories. So hello, welcome Black. Welcome Black. <laughs> that is not what I meant to say. I meant to say welcome back. And I hope everyone's having a good week, good day, good month good time, some good vibes. I will send everyone good vibes, actually. I'll do that, I'll do that right now. So, here are my good vibes. And yeah, so this is episode five, I believe. And it is a little late, unfortunately. I am really bad at time management and scheduling and getting this stuff done, but I'm trying to be better at it and work at being more consistent, especially considering this is something that I want to keep doing because I enjoy doing it and everything. So um, I'm hoping to keep up with a more consistent schedule after this episode and keeping to every second Saturday. Now I know that I said I was going to do every second Friday. So that one is on me, unfortunately. But actually, and I'm going to, oh, I can't plug in the microphone because it's a USB. I really was going to try to plug in my microphone, but it doesn't plug into my camera, so I got to get a microphone that does plug into my camera, because as of right now, I would like to also improve my audio quality, so that is something that you guys can be looking forward to on Spotify and on YouTube. Unfortunately, on Spotify, you guys can't see the difference in my video quality, because I did get a new camera, but there's no visuals for Spotify. But anyways, hello. So... Yeah, episode five. So what is today's episode going to be about? I have been rambling and I haven't even introduced what we're going to be talking about. But we're going to be talking about one of my favorite movies that like came out pretty recently. And that is going to be Puss in Boots 2, The Last Wish. Now this movie is fantastic. And when I, I saw it twice in theaters and the first time I watched it, like my mind was blown. Um, I kind of went into it before all the hype around it. Like this movie, I think no one was expecting it to kind of be the masterpiece that it was or almost have the attention that it did. All things considering that the first Puss in Boots I'm pretty sure came out about like 10 years ago and like wasn't regarded in like the best light. You know, it was just kind of like another kid's movie. It added to the Shrek universe and you know, the Shrek universe is quite popular. So, you know, it was, an, it was an okay movie, not hyped or anything. So I think when Puss in Boots 2 is like coming out 10 years later from like this okay movie, I don't think too many people expected much from it. I watched the trailer and I was interested in it due to the animation style. And the animation style compared to this movie to the first Puss in Boots movie is like completely different. The first Puss in Boots movie kind of stays more traditional to like the Shrek animations that we see in like Shrek 1, 2, 3, and 4 right? It's kind of like that, it's the 3D animation. Versus in Puss in Boots 2, we kind of see a style of animation that mimics Spider-Verse's type of animation very heavily, or it's it's definitely influenced by Spider-Verse, you can tell. And that was kind of what uh, got me interested in it, because obviously Spider-Verse is like fantastic, such a great movie. Um, one of my favorite Marvel movies, 
like to date. It's, it's fantastic. So when I saw the animation style for Puss in Boots, I was really interested in seeing it. And I think having that great of animation kind of intertwined with great movies in a sense, like Spider-Verse is a good factor as to why people were probably drawn to Puss in Boots 2 and a factor as to why like why I was drawn to watching it in the first place because the animation style looked very enticing and it looked like it was going to be a good movie just even like based off of the animation style if that kind of makes sense so it was kind of a smart move on their part to be using kind of that newer form of animation um rather than sticking with like the previous one so that was very smart and I hear a lot of complaints about saying like Puss in Boots isn't as good as Spider-Verse because Spider, like without Spider-Verse we wouldn't have Puss in Boots. And I do understand that argument, but I'm gonna make a counter argument because like, yes, I understand that, but also like there's nothing wrong, I think, with rewarding perfection. And I think that Spider-Verse is a great movie. I just, I feel like Puss in Boots like perfected that style and perfected the use of it in a sense. And oh, I know, I know, I'm not dogging on Spider-Verse at all. Spider-Verse is a great movie. It's up there with Puss in Boots, 100%. But I just feel like Puss in Boots is just like slightly better and slightly perfected it more. And I feel like we are, we should be able to acknowledge that and, you know, and recognize that yes, without Spider-Verse, we probably wouldn't have Puss in Boots due to that animation style um, influence. But I think it's also okay to recognize that Puss in Boots is just honestly kind of a masterpiece. It is so good. I don't think anyone was expecting it to be as good as it was. I definitely wasn't. When I went into the theater, I was expecting it to be like, I was expecting to like it. I wasn't expecting to love it. I wasn't expecting the type of story that it had. I didn't expect its morals to like grip with me as much as they did. So. Yeah, this movie was great, and I think that's one of the reasons why it, like, kind of blew up a little bit later. Because I noticed when I went is the tea, so I went with my siblings first, so that's also probably another reason why I saw it. It's an animation movie, you know, seeing it with my little siblings. They're quite a few years younger than me. So, <clears throat> but when I saw it, then the movie theater was, like, dead. It was, like, us and maybe, like, another group of people. And, like, no one was really talking about it on social media at the time or anything, and I remember seeing it and my mind was like blown. I was like, whoa, this movie is so good. And I remember telling people to go and see it. I was telling everybody to go and see it. And I'm sure like the, those like first other people who saw it too were telling that. And then the reviews came out and it got better reviews than James Cameron's Avatar 2. And everyone was like, what? And then that's kind of, I think, where the hype, hype train just like rocket skyrocketed and everyone started seeing it it was all over social media you started to see the like um the clips in the movie being used on tiktok and obviously like social media is such a helpful tool for marketing and promoting especially movie wise <laughs> and um even music wise like we see so many marketing um tricks happening on tiktok these days because it's just so viral meaning that you're gonna get lots of people to like see it and stuff and engage and interact and be interested. So very popular movie now, but it did take a little bit to like gain its popularity. So yeah, I just kind of want to talk about why I think it's such a great film, why I loved it so much, why it resonated with me so hard, as well as <laughs> a few possible feminist points. 
I wouldn't consider this a, uh, this a feminist movie by any means. Definitely not an anti-feminist movie at all either. Just a very neutral movie. It speaks a lot, I think, about the human condition, which I think is very important and um, good media to be creating these days because when you relate to something that has to do with the human condi condition, sorry, it's universal for everybody, right? It's a feeling that is universal and doesn't have to relate to gender roles by any means. Like these characters are dealing with stuff that everybody deals with in their lives and they're kind of portrayed in more of a, a neutral sense rather than having to do with people's genders and their gender roles. So yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it a little bit, shall we? <clears throat> I feel like I should have prepped myself a drink because I'm a I'm getting over a sickness right now, so my throat's a little bit dry. At least I don't sound as I sounded so plugged up the last two days, so I am good now. That's also another reason why this podcast is probably coming out really late due to finals, and I also got so sick, which is so unfortunate. So I'm happy to be back though, um, doing 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 this makes me feel happy and good and feeling like I am contributing to something. And especially now that school's done, because I'm done my finals, I am one of those people that kind of spirals when I don't really have anything to do. It kind of makes me a little depressy. So having a test to accomplish is good, you know? So we're so happy for this. And to talk about one of my favorite things, Puss in Boots 2. Uh, it's like it's super additive on top of it. So I'm gonna start off with talking about some themes, because I think one thing that makes this movie Really great is its overarching themes, especially with what Puss in Boots specifically is dealing with as a character. And then as well as its sub-themes, because we are introduced to a lot of characters who are all dealing with, you know, some sort of human condition that we all face at some point in their life. So we're going to talk about some, 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 some themes. I can speak English, no problem. And then we're going to review, um, I want to talk about the villain, because I think the villain in this movie is really... Great, especially considering we're kind of in an era of Hollywood we are, where we're not really seeing antagonists in a traditional sense anymore or we're not seeing villains anymore where antagonists tend to be like inner selves, family, community, society. We're not really seeing that man versus man, you know, um, conflict on screens anymore. And I would say there is definitely two conflicts within this movie. We do have the man versus man in its physical conflicts, but also the villain is so good because it's both a physical villain and a metaphorical villain, metaphorical villain, as we see Puss in Boots, you know, struggling with his man versus himself and his struggle to accept, you know, death and that, you know, death. <laughs> I guess that's all I had to say, but like, you know, struggling with his morality, that's what I was going to say. Struggling with his death and his morality. Um, so that's like a really cool aspect of Puss in Boots and I think one of the things that makes the movie so great. And then lastly, I got my little, um, I got my little cue cards here so I can keep track a little bit. Plus I want to make sure that I'm giving you guys good information and information that is accurate and correct so I can be a trustworthy source because it's very important in these days and age of, you know, the rise of fake media and fake news and, you know, AI being now introduced, it's important to, you know, note trustworthy source. And I really want to be a trustworthy source to all of my 
you know, viewers, and my 11 so amazing subscribers. Love you guys. You're amazing. Um, yeah. So I guess I'll start with, like, some themes first, since I kind of, like, touched on it a little bit. So we see Puss in Boots, who is, like, the protagonist, the main character, struggling with what I think is the main theme of this, you know, movie. And that would be a sense of morality and death, kind of um, loosely. But if we want to get into it, like, more specifically, uh, I think that the theme of Puss in Boots is the idea that the fact that our lives are not infinite and that they do have an ending is what makes them so important and makes it so important to live in the moment and live, you know, your true life and what makes you truly happy. I'm gonna cry talking about this movie. This is ridiculous. I freaking love this movie so much. It literally kicked, it gave me the kick in the butt that I needed, I think, to get my life on track from a pretty dark time. And I, and this probably also, I think I have some bias towards this movie because it means so much to me and it came at me, to me at such an important time in my life. Um, but you know, it's themes really like grappled with me because it does have this sense of like, live your life to the fullest because it is gonna end and that's okay and learning to accept that. And I think that is such a powerful theme because death is something that is 100% a human condition because that is something that we are all going to, you know, eventually face. Unless there are, like, you know, vampires out there. Who knows? Who knows anymore? <laughs> Living amongst us. But as, as a human condition, you know, we're all going to die at some point. And that is so universal that anybody can connect with that and it's not gender specific and it doesn't, it, you know elude or contribute to any gender roles um so therefore not contributing to a system of power so we see puss in boots throughout the movie grappling with his morality and kind of this in inevitable death that's coming up because he he is spending you know the film has to do with him being on his last life so essentially <clears throat> as he's like on his last fight like last life sorry he has this um, exposure or face or fight with death because essentially he's trying to fight death or battle it because he doesn't want to face, like, he's scared of it, right? He doesn't want to face death. He doesn't want to, and then eventually he's, like, running away from it, right? He doesn't want to face death by any means. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't even want to face it anymore. And then at the end, he realizes that he's going to have to face death at some point and that he can never outrun death. And that's kind of like where it concludes because once death realizes that Puss in Boots is, you know, accepting of death now, he can't just, you know, the struggle is over. So meaning the physical struggle is over. And I think it's beautiful. The ending is beautiful. The final, the first fight scene and encounter with death is amazing. The final encounter with death also amazing. All of the fight scenes give me chills. The fight scenes in the movie were just so amazing. That is not something I will probably end up talking about later as well because I think that is something that also makes the movie as good as it is. Okay, so some sub-themes that we see within the movie are kind of revealed through the side characters, I would say. And so we see Kitty Soft Paws kind of being... Um, secondary protagonist 
witch, maybe? I, yeah, I'd call her the secondary protagonist. And she kind of has these issues with trust and friendship and knowing when to trust people and I guess accepting that they trust, you know, and accepting their trust in return, you know, if that makes sense. So she really struggles with knowing if people trust her so she can't trust them in a sense because she's been felt like left abandoned and kind of at the end she learns that it's okay to put her trust into people who have like kind of proved themselves or are important to her because we see a lot of I feel like children's film having kind of a bad representation of trust in their moral themes kind of being like just trust anybody which is not good in the real life let's be honest but it's important to trust the people that you know matter to you and are good to you and to trust like those people in your lives that bring you up and you have good connections with and a lasting relationship and we really see that through Kitty's soft paws, which is once again like this human condition between us all and learning to like, you know, trust each other and this human condition um, where we all kind of struggle with friendships and crave friendships and crave this connection with other humans. So love that, you know, another universal human condition and not anything that's just set to any gender roles or anything. And then we also see a, another sub theme. I would say there's kind of two primary ones with some background or secondary characters, I guess, and that would be through um, Goldilocks specifically, but then her kind of, you know, her family, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. So in this movie, they're like, the Three Bears um, adopted Goldilocks, so she's a part of their family. So that kind of, that kind of story revolving around them and their conflict kind of reveals a theme about found family and kind of like finding what's important to you and learning that to learning to realize that what you have is so important and not just missing out on the things that you don't have. And mm, that gold, the Goldilocks story hits so hard too, because I feel like especially in this age of internet and social media and only kind of seeing a certain personification of people because there is you know a lacking of authenticity online we i find myself and people surrounded around me often like looking for more things and feeling like our lives are lacking and that they suck but realistically i feel like we always just fail to see the things that are around us and how important they are and how thankful that we truly are for them and how much they do for us and the people in our lives and how how amazing they can be and I feel like we're always wishing for more and that kind of almost attributes to like this loneliness that we kind of feel you know within our society unfortunately so the themes of this movie are great they touch on human conditions that we all feel, you know, around the world. And they truly resonate with me, especially the one about <clears throat> kind of like realizing the importance of the things that you already have and not looking towards things that you don't have, as well as kind of the idea of life being important because it does end and it's important to do the things that make you happy. and. Kind of this discussion around the fear of death and the inevitab inevitability of death and kind of the importance of life. Like, 
man, it truly, like, you got one life, man. You got one life. You gotta live your, you gotta live it how you want. You know, and don't let others decide for you. And I guess I just wanted to kind of go into, I guess, talking about that a little bit more. Um, Puss in Boots kind of like struggled to live up to his legacy too, because one of the reasons why we see him running away from death is because he doesn't want his legacy to end, I think, you know? He's created this um, lasting, like this legacy, I think, that's almost bigger than himself. And I think he kind of realizes that and he can't ever live up to that legacy. He can't live up to this legacy that he's even created to himself. So when, oh, it's just so, gives me the chills, dog. So when, so when he realizes that and he can't just go on living like this reckless life anymore, he kind of resigns and, you know, we see him go to I, what I consider like a retirement home, but he goes to a home for cats that this lady, she takes in so many cats. She's basically a crazy cat lady. And like when he does that, you really see him, I feel like being defeated by life. And I feel like he got defeated by death in that sense because he felt like he doesn't have anything else to live for if he didn't, if he didn't have like, inf like, you know, infinite lives. I know that cats don't have infinite lives, but he had seven lives, right? So he never really thought about worrying about death before. He was kind of like living this infinite kind of legacy where he could be, do whatever he wants. And then when he realizes he can't do that, he kind of resides and gets defeated, I think, essentially by death, which is why like death is kind of battling him because it's almost like Puss in Boots has already decided to not live anymore. And then through like his friend's his friends, you know, and Kitty soft paws, he realizes that there's so much more to life than just his legacy and that the people in his life really matter. Because at the start of the film, you see him kind of have like all of these fans and everyone's cheering out his name, but he doesn't have any place to go to when he realizes he is down to his one life for like retirement. He doesn't have anyone else to go to. So he has to go to this crazy cat lady's home who she, he's never even met before. And then at the end of the movie, you see him with his, like, with Kitty Softpaws and um, Perito and all their friendship and their important relationships. And, you know, it gives him a reason to keep living, you know? And so, oh, so good. And that's something that really resonated with me, specifically because I've always had this struggle and this fear of death, in a sense, because I feel like... I'm so scared of being forgotten after death and I don't know why and I don't know how I got this in my head but it just really freaked me out knowing that I could die and be forgotten and that my life would be meaningless but and I think that's exactly what Puss in Boots is struggling with is that if he can't live up to this legacy then his life is meaningless and it's like I relate to that because if I can't create a legacy then my life was meaningless. And that's not true because you are important in other people's lives and your happiness matters. And yeah, you know, just hits me deep in the soul. Such a great movie. So truly resonated with me. Something I think I'm gonna be carrying with me for a very long time. And while I think Spider-Verse was a great film, I think where Puss in Boots creates that perfection is with its moral themes in a sense and the conflicts and stuff are really great in 
Spider-Verse, but I feel like its moral themes don't hit as close to home or the human condition as much as Puss in Boots does. And the physical fight scenes in Puss in Boots are just mwah, they're so good. The way that they're animated, it almost feels like this satisfying dance sequence. Like every, every timing of every move just feels like it's been thought out and perfected and like of like a choreographed dance essentially. Like the animation team for this went absolutely ape nuts. I don't want to swear, so I said ape nuts. That's that's what we're gonna have to be dealing with today. And the villain. So Death was a great villain because we see Puss in Boots obviously having this moral struggle throughout this whole entire movie. So it's a man versus himself type of conflict, but that conflict is like shown in a physical form through the physical form of death. And it's just so cool because you're seeing an on-screen man versus man type of battle, but like knowing that it's like this moral theme and that the only way that Puss in Boots can actually like defeat it is by you know, getting over his fear of death because it's a it's a fight he can't win physically because you you can't you can't defeat death. That's the whole thing. The whole reason he gets out of it is because he accepts that. And that's like so dope. And it's and everything I just want to talk about like and I feel like these themes hit so hard because the story is driven by um a show not tell. You know, these characters aren't ever in discussions, is uh, deep like oh I don't know obvious discussions about these themes where it's obvious that they're trying to spell it out for the audience, right? It's all very subtle. It's all shown through like natural conversations or feelings or facial expressions or experiences that these characters are going through, and you know that that's what they're trying to say, but they never have to explicitly say it for you. They don't assume that the audience is stupid, and I. Love that because that is like the whole, like, I love movies for that reason in a sense. Like, I want to take something away from it and I want to be able to fill in the gaps myself. Like, I'm not a very passive watcher and I understand that people can be. I'm a very active watcher with my entertainment. So that's maybe not everybody's speed, but that's one of the reasons, like, why I also love this movie so much is you have to kind of, well, you don't even have to be that much of an act. Like, I think they do such a good, like, good job with these themes and portraying them that you don't even have to be that much of an active watcher when watching it, but they don't just spell it out for you. You know, you understand Kitty Softpaws is struggling with trust, but she never has to, like, you know, go to PA, PA I'm gonna, if I say his name wrong, I was gonna get so upset. I just gotta take a breath. Perito. <laughs> um... And when kind of like, you know, she never like goes to Perito and be like, I don't trust Puss in Boots anymore. And yeah, you know, but you, you sense like this, like you sent, you get through her natural conversations and actions and, you know, her quips that she doesn't trust Puss in Boots anymore, but she really wants to. And then she learns to, and we, and, and it's never spelled out for you. You just know, because at the end she, you know, they come together. It's like a family. It feels like a family at the end. So good. Yeah, so Death was a great antagonist because Death is both both antagonists for both conflicts. Man versus man and man versus himself. It's the same antagonist. And I just, I think that that is so genius. Um, and I, oh, uh, and then 
Rounding out the end of this podcast, I just want to touch on a few little feminist things that I kind of wanted to point out about this movie. So, once again, while I don't think that this movie is a feminist movie by any means, it's not an anti-feminist movie, it's just kind of a movie that's talking about the human condition. And I, I think that's personally great because it's something that everybody can connect to and I think a piece of media that everyone can connect to and watch is great because oftentimes we do see you know, medias, TV shows and stuff being targeted for a certain audience. So it's either like, and I'm sure you guys have heard this term before, but they say like it's for the male gaze or for like the female gaze. And in that sense, they're talking about how medias are created for certain genders to be watched and those really attribute to gender roles. Another feminist point that can kind of be argued, I would say is a character that is very funny that we have not talked about and that would be Jack Horner. And let me tell you my shock and awe when he first spoke because I knew right away that that was John Mulaney. And I just thought I was just shocked because never in a million years did I think that he was like gonna be in this movie. So, but he honestly, I have to, I have to say he did a decent job at voice acting. All of the voice acting in this movie was amazing. Florence Pugh did Goldilocks and she, oh, so good. And Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots is so classic and I love him so much. He is such a, I don't know, he's a good actor and voice actor. So, but there can be an argument that Jack Horner in a sense, I think kind of represents a certain privilege and kind of a certain uh, mindset that can come out of that privilege and I think it's kind of reflective of capitalism in a sense because capitalism is very much about greed right and Jack Horner is greedy for power and in our society we can kind of see power as money and in this case it's magic but if he had all the magic in the world I mean he would obviously be easy like able to control it in that sense but in our society I would say money for sure and so he kind of represents like this capitalistic power and this like or this capitalism sense of you know how privilege almost like breeds greed in a sense and like contributes to you know this like capitalistic society where you always want to be richer or more powerful or better or the best and stuff right especially with like companies and stuff you know always achieving you know, the biggest profit and being bigger than other companies and the best company and the most efficient company and yada yada. So I, you can kind of make an argument, I think, for Jack Horner being kind of representative of that, but it, it doesn't really, other than that, it doesn't really go anywhere because I think him getting defeated in the end doesn't really, it doesn't really show anything else that kind of attributes to that because there's no... Uh, I wouldn't say like Puss in Boots and the other people kind of represent a lower class society or anything. So it's no like overturning capitalism or anything. But I do think there can be an argument that he kind of represents that and kind of like um, how greed kind of breeds like no morals. Because the thing about Jack Horner and kind of what makes his character even so funny in a sense is that he just literally has no morals, right? Like. He is just a horrible human, but he didn't have that bad of a childhood and he got his father's company and everything kind of went right for him, but he's he's just horrible. He doesn't treat anybody right and the only thing on his mind and the only thing that makes him happy is like power and having all of these 
powerful magic tools in a sense. So I think there can be definitely an argument made. And what I see for sure is Jack Horner kind of representing this like capitalistic power and in the way that he is portrayed. But it, other than that, I don't think any of the other characters really represent any of the systems of power or what happens or victims of the system of power by any means. Like, I don't think that the other characters are showing a other side of like victims of systems of power per se. And I kind of say victims with, quote, with quotes over it just because I don't know. I don't think that's the right word, but I can't think of a better word right now, unfortunately. So yeah, there, that's kind of like a feminist perspective that you can come at it with. Other than that, that pretty much concludes all the feminist points. I feel like this was a, a little bit of a chaotic podcast. I feel like all my podcasts are a little bit chaotic, but I just think Puss in Boots was really good. Overall, it was really funny. There are so many good moments. It represents an awesome moral that really resonated with me. The villain was great. The conflicts were great. I would definitely give it a 10 out of 10. I cannot lie. Um, I know a lot of people probably wouldn't, and I think a lot of people do regard Spider-Verse as, like, the better movie. And these are definitely compared a lot, Spider-Verse and Puss in Boots, just because of their very similar animation style. But Jack Horner, I think, was such a good comedic point, as well as P uh, Perito. Perito was a very good comedic character and comedic relief throughout the film, who also just represented, like, you know, goodness. And his, oh, his character was so cute. And I think he represented dogs perfectly and kind of, like, what dogs represent in media because he was, like, you know, a dog. So, yeah, Puss in Boots, great movie. Easily has become one of my favorite films. Definitely in the top ten for sure. I'd have to maybe rethink my top five and so and if it places in there and where it would. But it's a fantastic movie. I would highly recommend that anybody go see it if you haven't. And if you haven't seen it and you watch this whole podcast, I am sorry. But there are spoiler warnings at the start, so. Alrighty, and I guess that's everything. Make sure to follow me on my social medias at Ziggyo, and that is Z-I-G-G-Y-O-0-O. I have a TikTok and Instagram a visco for some photos and a youtube so make sure to check me out and follow me if you want if you don't that's okay you know it's a free free system so you can do what you want you know if this isn't your taste i won't judge and i hope you guys have a good rest of your day and i hope you enjoyed the podcast and i thank you guys all so much for supporting me and i guess thank you